the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. About 49 degrees, six minutes after six on a Wednesday, hump day, middle of the weekday, over the hill day, close to Friday than we were on Monday. And uh, Wednesdays are usually my worst day. It's just like it catches up with me on Wednesday. And then I'm looking forward after Wednesday, I can say Thursday and Friday, I'm on the downhill slope. So I think we all need something to get us going this morning. Let's go back to 1957, the number one tune that day, the Everly Brothers. number one song today this morning if you woke up in 1957 big big hit number one hit first number one for the everly brothers they had had another song come out uh, a few weeks before a couple of months and uh, that was bye bye love which is a, a hit for them as well the other two number one songs that the everly brothers were able to plat uh, were kathy's clown and all i want to do is drink all right, time to get serious. You're you're awake. I gave you enough time to go to the coffee pot, pour a cup of coffee, and like me, start getting uh, you know caffeine induced. I uh, I always do that. Here's a guy that doesn't need caffeine. He wakes up just ready to grab the world and take it on. David Ray is with us today. David, how are you? Thanks for joining us. Hey, thanks, Dave, for having me back on. Good to be with you. And uh, although that's that's not true about the caffeine, I need lots of caffeine. That's fake news, right there, my friend. I know. Well, you, what do you say? But but my fake news doesn't hurt anybody. That's it makes true. people sound great. You know what I'm saying? Uh, just as a uh, a reminder to everybody, I have to take a day off next week. Uh, the missus is having surgery. Nothing major. Nothing major. 
She's yet to do anything as major as I did and have a five-way bypass operation yet. However, uh, you all know and remember when she fell off the riding lawnmower last year and broke her ankle, and it was a compound fracture, and uh, she has not taken over the last year well to the hardware uh, that they uh, put in her leg to keep it together. So they're going to go back in now and take it out. And uh, she's going to be kind of limping around for a few weeks after that's over with. Probably she'll be sitting at the house with her leg up for a couple of weeks. And I'll be back cutting the front lawn. Now, I like cutting the, the grass. My problem is, is that my timetable never meets my wife's timetable. You know, she'll say, when are you going to cut the grass? I said, sometime uh, today or tomorrow. You're not going to do it now? <laughs> that's that's kind of the way it runs at my household about uh, the grass. And then she got to the point where she says, I like doing it. I'll do it. And guess what? David, I didn't argue with her. <laughs> yeah, well, that's never usually a winning proposition. <laughs> no, and I just gave her the keys to the lawnmower. So here you go. You want to cut it? You know, have at it. So she's been getting it. Then she fell off fell off the seat. I won't get into talking about that and how do you fall off the seat of a riding lawnmower, but she did. Anyway, uh, I asked David to come on. In fact, he called me or texted me and asked if he could come on today uh, later. And I said, no, let's do 635. And then I had another person become available at 635 that I really wanted to get on to talk about the uh, pandemic and how the panic over the pandemic has caused problems. So I, uh, I said, I'm going to bump you back to 605. And I got, I got this uh, text back for him. Okay. But that's really early. (laughs) And I I understand that, man. I understand. Well, I am here. I am here and ready to go. Okay. The three issues that are, and this is a question I've gotten quite often. In fact, I was at the Faulkner County Republican Women's uh, Meeting uh, last week, and I was asked about the three issues that are going to be on the ballot. There are going to be more, but the Supreme Court of Arkansas knocked them off the ballot. Uh, In fact, they may still be on the ballot, but they won't count. Yeah, they're not going to count. So let's go across the three that are going to be on the ballot and uh, what they entail. I'll turn it over to you. Yeah, so you just want me to go one, two, three and tell folks what they are. Yeah. Um, So issue one is related to the half-cent sales tax for uh, roads, highways, infrastructure. Um, That was passed originally back in 2012. It was only supposed to be a 10-year temporary tax, uh, but now um, politicians are are trying to change the deal, and they're trying to make it permanent. And so voters are being asked to make that a permanent fixture in our state constitution. That's That's what issue one does. If it passes, that money would go to fund roads. If it doesn't pass, then at the end of the 10-year period, our sales tax would actually go down by half a percent. So that's issue one. Uh, Issue two is related to term limits. That's kind of confusing because there's been so many measures related to term limits. Arkansas does already have term limits. 
Um, they've changed a couple of times, but our current term limit arrangement is legislators are limited to a maximum of 16 years, and then there's a lifetime cap on service. Um, what issue two would change that to if it were to pass is it would decrease the, um, the term limit from 16 to 12, um, so a maximum of 12 years in either the House or the Senate, um, but it would eliminate the lifetime cap. So if you served 12 years, you could go back into uh, the world as a private citizen for four years, for a period of four years, and then you would be eligible to serve again. Um, if issue two passes, obviously that will change uh, the, the structure of our term limits. If it fails, it will stay the same. And then issue three deals with uh, how we pass and amend and, and change our state constitution in Arkansas. Um, essentially, it makes it a little bit, uh, it raises the bar a little bit to amend the constitution and puts in place uh, a few guardrails for our initiated act and citizen-led constitution process. So um, it, incre it does not increase the number of signatures required to get an, an issue on the ballot, but it requires that those signatures come from more than just 15 counties. Currently, you can just go to uh, Pulaski County and Washington County and Benton County and just basically the big counties and get signatures. This requires that you get at least some signatures from a, a much larger swath of uh, counties. It bumps the calendar deadline up a little bit so that we're not always in limbo two or three months before the election as to what's actually going to be at the ballot. Um, and it eliminates uh, the cure period, which is basically the deadline, the extended deadline to collect signatures after they're technically due. And it makes it harder to raise, uh, to, to pass a constitutional amendment uh, in the legislature. You know, it increases it from just a, ma a majority vote in both houses to refer that out up to a three-fifths vote. So that's that's what the three issues do. All right, One, let, two, and three. let me take you through the three issues and questions that I've been asked, and maybe you can give answers on them. Let's start off with issue one. People want to know uh, the way that this is written is that half cent sales tax, is that money going to be put into a you know a, an area, let's just use the term that they always love to use, a lockbox, only for uh, roads? Well, the money is going to be distributed the same way it's been being distributed for the last uh, eight years that this tax has been into effect. So uh, most of that money goes to the highway department for use on, on state highways. There's about uh, 15 to 16 percent that's distributed to the counties based on uh, a formula, and then another 15 to 16 percent that's distributed to the cities based on a formula. And then um, anytime that money goes to the highway department, there, there, yeah, there is some uh, overhead that things, you know, um, things that the, that money goes to that are not related to roads. Um, the constitutional officers fund, I believe, is funded out of um, highway money, uh, which has never really made sense to me, but um, and some other miscellaneous things. Okay, but, so um, but about about seventy percent goes for state highways, and thirty percent split fifteen fifteen goes to cities and counties. Yeah, that's right. 
That's right. Okay. And then uh, does the state legislature get any more say in how these state funds are spent? And it sounds like to me the answer to that is just no. No. The, the answer to that is no. That'll be up to the highway department, which is constitutionally independent from the legislature and from the executive branch. In fact, um, the governor doesn't even have the ability to hire or fire the, the director of the department of, of the highway department, which, you know, is very different from any other uh, state ag- agency outside of game and fish. You know, if there's issues or problems with the secretary of commerce or the department of insurance or, or whatever department it is, you know, the governor has the ability to install a new director uh, not so with the Highway Commission, and they're not. Uh, that's that's a, a complaint that I've heard from a lot of legislators. Frankly, is that they're not as responsive as uh, they would like them to be to the legislature because they don't depend on the legislature uh, for their for their uh, funding stream. It, it's all uh, it comes in automatically, either via um, motor fuel taxes or via this this sales tax. They don't have a budget that has to be uh, appropriated every year um, like many of the other state agencies would. Okay, and then the final question, and this was asked at the uh, Faulkner uh, Women's Republican meeting of me last week because I've explained exactly what you've been explaining, and someone asked me, well, that means that, you know, voters really don't have any kind of way of putting pressure on the highway department, they do as they see fit. Is that is that a, a true statement? Yeah, that's a true statement. Look, I, I've dealt with you know in the um, I work in the lieutenant governor's office, and I from time to time will field complaints from constituents about issues they're having with the highway department. And you know, I'll be honest with you, I don't have any power in that role. To solve those problems, I can raise those concerns with officials at RDOT, um, but that's basically the extent of it. And, you know, I'll be honest with you, Dave, I've heard horror stories about how people get treated sometimes, um, you know, with things that are, are done to their property, you know, property being um, taken via eminent domain and, and the, the payment uh, in exchange has either been unfair or untimely or both. Um, you know, I've heard horror stories. Uh, there's a there's a gentleman that I've come to know in the course of running for state representative that lives north of Mayflower, whose whose business was severely impacted by um, some actions that the highway department took, and he was never made right by them. Um, so yeah, th- there's a lot of that sentiment out there. All right. We'll come back. Issue two and three. Got some questions about those as well, but it's 20 minutes after six. Got to get our first look at traffic and weather news here on the Dave Ellswick show. So let's do that. Our special guest, David Ray from the Lieutenant Governor's uh, office here on the show until 630. 624 on your Wednesday as you're getting up and getting ready to take on the middle of the week. As of tomorrow, you'll be on the downhill slide of this week, and uh, the weather's looking good. It really is. It's looking nice. 
uh, for the rest of the week and for the weekend. David Ray is our guest from the Lieutenant Governor's Office. And, uh, David, let's go back now to Issue 2. Issue 2, again, takes up what? Yeah. Hey, Dave, one thing I'll clarify real quick. I'm, I'm actually not here on behalf of the Lieutenant Governor. Oh, yeah, I know that. I, um, I, I, I know that was just for um, informational purposes, but um, didn't want to get that out of the way. Yeah, Issue 2 is uh, related to term limits. So right. our current term limit structure, 16 years uh, in the legislature with a lifetime cap. Issue 2 would change that from... Uh, 16 down to 12, but would eliminate that lifetime cap. So you could you could sit out for four years and then be eligible to serve again if that were to pass. All right. One question that I've heard more than once about this piece of legislation. After you've set out the four years and you come back and let's say you serve another 16, do you have to serve? Do you have to set out another four or do you just continue on serving if you can get reelected? No, after after a 12, my understanding is that after a 12-year term, you would have to sit out for four years. So if you, if you served 12 years and you sat out for four years, you could technically be eligible to serve another 12, um, but you'd obviously have to get elected back to that position or to a different position. And then if you, after that 12, you would be, term limited again and would have to sit out for four years okay and then issue three deals with getting an initiated act onto the ballot Uh, i think instead of just a few counties now you got to get like 45 counties is that right yeah the number would go from 15 counties up to 45 that would have to contribute you know a specified number of signatures so right now if you you know if you live in pulaski county for example it's sort of a a yearly tradition uh, around in election years to get harassed outside of a gas station or grocery store with people carrying clipboards. Um, if you live in a rural county, you probably never experience a, a canvasser trying to get your signature for a ballot measure. And so the idea behind that is, um, of course, to try and give a larger number of counties a say in the process, let more Arkansans have buy-in into the process, and frankly, to ensure that that rural Arkansas has a voice in these matters. Was there also a a push amongst the elected officials to do this because they felt that there were outside interests outside the state of Arkansas spending money in Arkansas to uh, change our Constitution? Well, look, I can only speak for myself and what my thought process is. You know, I support issue three. I I feel like... um, Frankly, our initiated uh, our initiated act um, system and and the way we amend our constitution at the ballot is a little bit out of control. You know, over the last several years, liberal trial lawyers have figured out how to game the system, and they've perfected their craft. Uh, you know, passing multiple increases to the minimum wage, raising the cost of everything from fast food to daycare bills. Um, You know, they've put casinos into the state constitution, passed the medical marijuana amendment. Were it not for a favorable court ruling this year, uh, they would have been able to pass a jungle primary uh, amendment that would have basically made our two-party system um, worthless. 
and they would have they would have uh, put redistricting into the hands of unelected, unaccountable bureaucrats. So, I've always uh, I have long thought that we need to put some more guardrails in place to protect these things because what's happening is, you know, Arkansas is a small state. And so our TV markets are inexpensive compared to places like Chicago or Dallas. So a lot of these uh, liberal groups will enlist the, the financial uh, the financial backing of out-of-state billionaires, and they view us as a cheap date, you know, a place where they can spend a couple hundred grand to um, pay canvassers and get something on the ballot and then run, you know, half a million to a million uh, dollars in TV ads and you know, use our state as sort of a guinea pig to pass uh, some of the liberal. I understand, David. I got to let you go. Thank you so much for joining us and bringing us up to date on that. There's a lot more to vote on than just the president coming up on November third. Thank you. I appreciate you. We'll talk to you next Thursday. Absolutely. All right, David Ray here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So when I the reason I had David uh, come on. Uh, is to talk about those three issues that will be on the ballot come, uh, well, Monday. Monday begins uh, early voting here in Arkansas. Uh, So you need to make up your mind. Are you going to vote a new tax on yourself and put it in the Constitution, This, as far as roads are concerned? Two, are you going to go in and try to change, you know, the whole thing about uh, how long uh, a person can serve in the state house or state senate uh, term limits, which you as voters changed back in the late 90s and uh, made a strict uh, move on it and then got lied to uh, a few years ago with issue three, uh, which was supposed to be about ethics. And uh, what it really was was a way to change term limits, but it was buried inside the bill. So, uh, we won't even talk about ethical behavior. And then last but not least, uh, on the third, uh, talking about how they want to change how we go about trying to make these changes to our state constitution. Look, if you got a state constitution, it seems like to me you shouldn't be changing it every couple of years. Uh, I forget how many additions we've made over the last decade to our state constitution. I think we do have to uh, go about tightening that up. So you got those three to vote on. So remember, go to the polls and vote. There's more at stake than just the presidency and just the congressional races uh, here in the uh, the state of Arkansas. Those three issues are very important for you to get involved in. Okay, so let's talk about something I've talked about here on the show. And somebody's written a book about it. And I'm really happy that they've written a book about this. And uh, you'll understand where they're coming from when I tell you what the title of the book is. It's called The Price of Panic, How the Tyranny of Experts Turned the Pandemic into a Catastrophe. I mean, there's still people that are, you know, backed up in the corner of their living room somewhere with their thumb in their mouth and, uh, you know, their knees pulled up to their chest, scared to death about COVID-19. And the reason that's happened is because of of uh, politicians and the media. And and joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show today, Jay Richards, one of the authors. I think there's three authors of this book. He's one of the three. 
And, and Jay, thank you for the time today, and thanks for writing this book. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. I mean, when you look at this, you know, it, it amazes me that for somebody who's under, say, under 19, the chances of mm-hmm. dying from COVID-19 is like 99.977%. I mean, your chances of dying in a car accident are much higher than that. Yeah, and actually, that's the, that's the chances of uh, that you're going to live. Uh, the chances that you're going to die is yeah. It's oh, pardon me, I got it backwards. <laughs> I got I know, it backwards. Yeah, it, that, I mean, the reality is, if you are under twenty, even if you're under thirty, you're far more likely to die of the flu than to die from complications from COVID nineteen. And so, th- what that means is that you should say, okay, so what's the appropriate level of activity and risk assessment that I take for that? And that's about the same amount of preparation and risk assessment you should take for this. And unfortunately, most people aren't doing that. There was a poll in uh, July that asked Americans how, what percentage of the U.S. population they thought had died already from COVID-19. The average guess was 9%. Wow. So the, right answer is actually, it's, the right answer is actually 0.06%. So the average American thinks that this is 150 times more deadly than it is. And we've got to say, okay, who gave us that impression? Well, overwhelmingly, it was the mainstream media, which had been bombarding us with panic porn since the very beginning. Well, Look, I I watch our local media and and just about all of them lead lead with the latest outbreak here in the state. I mean, that makes people think that they're under attack by this by this virus constantly. That's exactly right. I mean, of course, early on, we were hearing about. Uh, the hospitals that were going to be overrun, the Javits Center in New York had to be decked out with thousands of extra hospitals. And the New York area did have serious pressure. That was the sort of hot spot in the United States at the time. Um, but notice the deaths and the hospitalizations have been going down for months. Now the media is talking about cases. Why are they talking about cases? We're talking about cases because we're doing so many darn tests. We're doing hundreds of thousands, up to a million tests now every single day in the United States. Most of the people being tested are asymptomatic. And so then if they test positive, we're now calling those cases. But a case until, say, the summer, if all of history until the summer, a case meant someone that tested positive for a disease that also had symptoms bad enough that they needed to go into the hospital. And so now we're just talking about positive cases that may have absolutely no symptoms. And so there's been a kind of major bait and switch for the media in which the terms keep changing. But the motive uh, is always the same, which is to keep us in this high-pitched panic as long as possible. So let me ask this of you. The politicians tend to disagree on which experts uh, we should listen to. How do we know, as just an average uh, Joe or Joette out here, who we should be listening to? That's a tough question. That's when we're talking about the tyranny of experts. Uh, what actually happened, it wasn't, say, that President Trump or in most cases the governor said, okay, let me gather together the smartest people on this particular question and also on, say, the economic and social consequences of a lockdown, and I'll get their advice. What actually happens is that the public health officials that happen to be in the federal government or happen to be working for the World Health Organization, they're the official experts. And so they're the ones, uh, for good or ill, that politicians turn to. So President Trump, for instance, he inherited Dr. Anthony Fauci, who had been working 
in the administrative state for decades. Yes. Uh, this is, we think, part of the problem is that the incentives of someone who's a public health official is going to be different from, say, an epidemiologist that's independent that works at Stanford Medical School. And that was the problem. And so President Trump, um, you know, I mean, what else is he going to do? His public health official is here, Anthony Fauci. Fauci believes this bogus model for the Imperial College London. He tells President Trump, look, if you don't lock down the country, we're going to have 2.2 million deaths. You're going to have 2.2 million deaths on your hands. Well, that's exactly what President Trump says. He'll give him that number. I, I said, okay, we're going to have to lock it down. It's going to be devastating, but we'll do it. Mm-hmm. Within a few months, we had a lot more data on this bug. We realized, okay, it's pretty darn dangerous if you're elderly, you have comorbidities, and especially if you're living in a nursing home. It doesn't pose a whole lot of uh, a danger for most other people. And so President Trump sits in and said, look, let's take account of the data. Now we need to respond appropriately. And unfortunately, a lot of, a lot of state governors and a lot of the media, they don't really want to look at the data. I mean, in this case, at this point, all you have to do is look at the CDC. You don't have to appeal to exotic numbers. All the number, most of the numbers we talk about in the book have now been confirmed by the, by the Centers for Disease Control. Yeah, when you all got together, I mean, do you guys have coffee together once a week or something and uh, you decided to write this book? It's funny because we all knew each other and we all knew independently that we were worried about what was happening in really in early March. But we were actually in three different places. I'm in Washington, D.C., Doug Axe is in L.A. And William Briggs, though he's from New York City, actually was working in Taiwan at the time the book was being written. And he was was stranded. He couldn't get in or out, you know. Um, And so we were locked down effectively and it gave us a lot of time. And so we actually wrote this. We could not have written this book if it hadn't been for Google Docs, so we could all work on the same document in real time, and if it hadn't been for Zoom and Google Meet. And so, honestly, we were interacting digitally the entire time we were working on the book. Amazing. So, as you sit here right now, and you look at what the United States has gone through, uh, someone asked me the question Monday, what was my greatest worry about what had happened during COVID-19? And I said, how easily Americans gave up their freedoms. How do you feel? Yeah, you know, I, I think the same thing. I mean, there's a lot of quantifiable costs to the lockdowns. That's why we talk about the price of panic. It's about a trillion dollars a month to the economy, 51 million new jobless claims, probably 75,000 excess deaths of despair from suicide and drug overdose just in the year 2020. Those are real costs. The cost of freedom, though, is one that you can't, you can't really quantify um, and I would not have guessed a year ago that we would so easily have complied with orders to shut down our businesses, to shut down our churches, and to stay locked up at home. The reason I think it worked is that we were not told we needed to do it just simply for our own good. We had been told that we need to do this for the good of others, that mm-hmm. you know, maybe we'll be fine, but if we carry a disease asymptomatically, we, we go to church, we sneeze, and an elderly man in front of us catches it, he, he dies and he infects everyone else in his nursing home. That was the worry. I call it a kind of moral ju- jujitsu in which we're hoisted on our own petards by our desire to help other people. And that's the sort of irony because that's uh, any would-be despot that's looking at this will say, okay, well, uh, we know how to control the American people. Just make sure that they think they need to be stay locked up for the good of others. Yeah, and, and when did that change? Because Americans used to be a very independent lot. They would, they would have listened to that back in the 40s and said, nah, don't think so. 
Uh, not so much now. They're they're willing to go right along part and parcel and be led by the nose. Well, that's that's what's so strange about it, because a lot of people initially were talking about this as if, well, this is just big government imposing its will on us. But if you look at polls, 70, 80 percent at the beginning of the uh, lockdowns actually thought it was a good idea. And part of that's because we've just simply been indoctrinated. Look, if this was something like Ebola, then, yeah, you'd you'd take extreme measures, at least temporarily. And I even look now about half of the population on some polls still thinks, you know, gosh, if I don't wear my mask outside in the middle of the noonday sun, I'm going to die or I'm going to kill someone. So as long as enough people actually believe that, we're likely to continue complying. As soon as people realize, just just get kind of clear-headed about this, I think it will have to be over because people will simply refuse to comply with outrageous orders. Our guest is Jay Richards. He's one of three authors of a new book, Price of Panic, How the Tyranny of Experts Turned a Pandemic into a Catastrophe. We'll continue our conversation with him after a break. That's happening right now here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Back with Jay Richards. He is the, uh, I guess, tri-author of a book called Price of Panic, How the Tyranny of Experts Turned a Pandemic into a Catastrophe. You can get it wherever books are sold. Uh, Jay, I'm going to I'm going to assume that I can get a Kindle a version of this. Is that right? That's right. You can get Kindle hardcover or audiobook right now. Okay, fantastic. I'll, I'll need to add this to my my Kindle, because that's how I read now. I don't carry books around any longer. I read them off my Kindle. So it's great. It saves a lot of space. It does. So here's a big question for you, and it's one that I think every American should ask themselves, and that is, how did politicians who know nothing about science for the most part, I mean, there's very few doctors that are up on Capitol Hill, and they know very little about science as well. They depend on others to tell them, who do who do they decide who to trust? It's based entirely on who the officials are, unfortunately, and that's what we think is the problem. Um, in this case, it was Dr. Anthony Fauci. It was Dr. Uh, the, the head of the CDC, um, a couple of other public health officials, no one from the outside. And the problem is the public health officials' incentive is always going to be to assume the worst-case scenario. Because think about it. Let's say you say, well, a million people are going to die. But then 100,000 people die. They say, okay, well, good. It's a good thing that we responded because it would have been a lot worse. On the other hand, you say, well, don't worry. Nobody's going to die from this. And then 10,000 people die, right? Then you're looking for another job. So the incentive is always going to be to exaggerate and to uh, focus on worst-case scenarios. We think certainly presidents and probably governors need a more independent panel, including scientists and just other uh, intellectuals that can analyze the costs and benefits that aren't within the bowels of the administrative state. I mean, President Trump figured this out when he invited Dr. Scott Atlas from Stanford Medical School here just a few weeks ago to become part of his, basically, the White House Advisory Commission on COVID-19. Atlas has absolutely no incentive to do anything but just to tell the honest truth, and he is an expert at health policy and their facts. And so, you know, when you listen to him talk, I actually saw him last night on Fox News, He is much more up on the latest data and information about what's actually happening, unfortunately, than Dr. Anthony Fauci. I don't don't think that Fauci and these guys were uh, malevolent. It's just that their incentives are wrong, and they have have very narrow bandwidth so that they ended up taking advice 
from the World Health Organization, which itself followed a highly oh, speculative computer model. That we we the world got shut down because of one really really bad computer model at the Imperial College London. That experts later said it looks like a sort of buggy bowl of spaghetti pasta rather than a complicated computer program. The thing was a complete mess. We knew within weeks that it was going to be wrong. And the problem with that is that the initial reports on radio, TV, uh, in books and stories was that this was a a, a kind of, uh, you know, black death like they had uh, just before the the Dark Ages, that Mm -hmm. that tons of people were going to die. No, that's right. And this all came, believe it or not, from that one crummy model, which assumed a case fatality rate of 3.4%. So in other words, you know, 3.3.5% effectively of everybody uh, that caught the bug, according to this model, were going to be fatal. Well, that would have been catastrophic. That would be, you know, many, many, many millions of people. Well, what was the basis for that? They didn't have a basis for it. They were just sort of guessing based on a couple of flights out of China that had a data set of about six people. We now know the, the infection fatality rate. It's about 0.15 to 0.26%. So it's much more like you'd expect from one of the kind of a flu pandemic, mm-hmm. like the, the Hong Kong flu of 1968. That's not to diminish it. Lots of people still suffer and die, but it's crazy to shut down the world for something like that, especially because you end up causing more deaths from the shutdown than you could ever possibly save by doing it. Okay, and I want to talk about that for a, in a second, but I want to talk about the World Health Organization first. They've completely changed their uh, storyline about uh, lockdowns. They just came out with a uh, press release mm-hmm. just the other day uh, saying that that's probably not the way that we should go. Yet, if I take you back to, I guess, February, they were saying, lock it all down, you know, or we're going to die. That's exactly right. And what people don't know is that the original position of the World Health Organization one year ago was that lockdowns don't work. They issued a major report in October 2019, studied 250 major research articles, and their conclusion was that these so-called suppression measures to you know, locking down healthy people with unhealthy in their homes is, one, not likely to make much difference, and two, gonna, would be devastating to the economy. Then, as you said, in the sort of height of the hysteria, they called for lockdowns, and now they have actually returned to their original position. Now, I noticed that the media is not reporting this. At some point, I mean, they're not going to be able to just not talk about that. Somebody needs to tell Al Gore that the World Health Organization has changed its mind on lockdowns. Yeah, they have. Absolutely have done so. So what do you think? Do, we, do, do you think we'll get back to normal in this year, or... Is fear going to continue? Is this panic going to continue and keep people locked up? Well, I think it's going to it's going to be uh, different from place to place. I think some states are already uh, have opened up, you know, in places like Arkansas and Oklahoma, South Dakota, um, you know, fairly normal. Uh, places like Washington D.C., Washington State, and California are not. They're still under major lockdown. And for the most part, unless people are really doing their research, they're terrified. And so I think a lot Mm -hmm. of it is going to depend on whether enough people wake up about what's going on. And that's going to require us to get some critical distance from most of our sources of media and certainly from the social media, which are in full panic porn mode. And if we don't realize that, if we don't realize, look, 
the media's incentive for the most part is not to inform me. It is to keep me whipped up into a frenzy and panic. Then, you know, who knows how long it can go on. Yeah, that's scary. So how much is this costing us, Doc, to shut everything down like we have? Our estimate is that the lockdowns cost the economy about a trillion dollars every month. So that was oh certainly happening. And yeah, so we're talking April, May, June, July, August. It was at least a trillion dollars every single month. Um, of course, we know the unemployment went to 41 million. Uh, I mentioned earlier, all of these excess deaths, maybe 75,000 excess deaths, just from deaths of despair, suicide and drug overdoses. So probably something like 80,000 cancer screenings were missed. So that means people that have cancer that need treatment uh, have it missed and delayed for several months. That's going to lead probably to large numbers of deaths, especially when you add things like heart disease and things other than cancer. You very quickly end up with more people killed from the lockdowns than actually died from COVID-19. So in other words, the cost um, is huge on the other side. The, the sort of double bad news, as we analyze in the book, is the lockdowns probably made absolutely no difference. If you compare all the states of the countries that locked down with the ones that don't, and you map the dates of the government lockdowns uh, against the numbers, the, the, the case rates and the infection rates and everything were completely indifferent to the government lockdowns, unfortunately. Jay Richards, Price of Panic. I want to have you on again in the future. How the tyranny of experts have... Uh you know, took a pandemic and made it into a catastrophe. Thank you for your time. We'll talk to you again very soon. My pleasure. Jay Richards here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Give you some information that you can really use. Congressman Hill, coming up. get into the uh, 7 o'clock hour, and this is going to be all about Arkansas. Both of our congressmen will join me during this hour. We'll start off as normal at uh, this time with uh, Congressman French Hill. He is with us coming up at 735. Congressman Bruce Westerman uh, will be joining us as well. And uh, Congressman, you and and uh, uh, Congressman uh, Westerman, uh, both had uh, debates over this week, and so you got those out of the way, and uh, you're working hard in Washington, D.C. right now. The Paycheck Protection Program uh, is a program that uh, just about every Republican congressional uh, delegate uh, up in Washington, D.C. wants to see extended, but you guys keep getting stopped by Pelosi. Good morning, Dave. You're 100% right. And it's so frustrating when we still have restaurants hurting, businesses hurting. And there's $138 billion that was unspent in the Paycheck Protection Program from the CARES Act. Probably the most successful program in the CARES Act. Saved 51 million jobs, made loans to over 40,000 Arkansas businesses for $3 billion dollars. 
and it's been very successful. Republicans want to extend it so that businesses that are still hurting can tap into that money even a second time. And that's been blocked systematically since the end of July by Speaker Pelosi because she wants $2.5 trillion for her priorities, many of which don't have anything to do with the pandemic. Yeah, and the president has come back here just recently uh, and raised the amount of money. I, I guess uh, Mnuchin has said $1.8 trillion now, which is, a, to say the least, a significant amount of money. I mean, Everett Dirksen has got to be flipping around in his grave because he just said a million here, a million there. You start talking about real money. Now we're talking a trillion here and a trillion there. And we're talking real money. Uh, but uh, and, and yesterday, Pelosi was on CNN with Wolf Blitzer, and Blitzer <laughs> asked about why she wasn't, uh, you know, uh, making a deal. And she said he was being an apologist for you guys. So... Wolf Blitzer's show, I hope people go watch that clip. People ask me all the time, what's it like to work in the House of Representatives around Speaker Nancy Pelosi? If you'd like to see what that's like, go take a look at this clip from the CNN Wolf Blitzer interview. She is uh, just uh, ridiculous the way she deals with people, how condescending she is, how uh, negative she is about business in the real world. It's all politics. It's all dogma with her. And I think it was on full display. And she condemns Wolf Blitzer for simply answering, uh, asking a, a completely legitimate question. Yeah, and, and she was asked that, and I'm hearing that there are members of her own party now that are sending her uh, letters saying, make a deal. People are suffering. Come on, um, Miss Speaker, do your job. Yes. Uh, two weeks ago, as we tried to get this Paycheck Protection Bill off the floor through use of a procedural motion, a discharge petition, 23 Democrats joined us, and in, in they wrote a letter to the speaking, saying, speaker saying, your strategy is wrong. We should take uh, the things that we can get done now that have bipartisan support, PPP, fix the unemployment situation, Give the governors more flexibility to spend the CARES Act money that we've already spent to the the states for the pandemic and potentially send uh, more checks to uh, households that are still hurting. And they got nowhere with her. She's still up at this $2.5 trillion number. And I just don't see those kind of numbers getting uh, support by the Congress. If Joe Biden wins, then Katie bar the door on how much money they might spend. But what we need is targeted, immediate relief for our small businesses and our families. So let me just ask this. I mean, uh, is it all about that's holding this up is Pelosi wants to give states like New York and California and other eastern coast states that have not balanced their budgets correctly uh, you know, a bailout using taxpayers' money. Is that is that the real holdup for this? There's a whole series of things, but I'd, I'd rank them in this order. <laughs> I'd rank them in this order. She wants nearly uh, a trillion of that dollars to go to big blue states that have poor management and were not doing well financially even before the pandemic. So that's number one, because these states have all gotten money and they all have access to the municipal liquidity facility from the Federal Reserve. So she wants more. 
And if you shut down your state completely and hurt your families and hurt your businesses, uh, she wants you to bail that out. Secondly, she wants to give a tax break to wealthy property owners in California and New York, where they pay high property taxes. And in the Tax Reform Act, we limited how much in property taxes you can still have as a tax deduction. And New Yorkers and Californians that pay the highest property taxes in the country, they want that deduction back. She's put that in the bill for them. She has Mm. written that into the bill just for those states. Next, she wants to give uh, pandemic uh, tax rebate checks to illegal immigrants. Next, she wants to uh, have a whole series of non-pandemic related things related to the elections in this bill, you know, 22 days before uh, the national election. So uh, it's an overreach that is hurting nobody except the families hurting the most from the pandemic, businesses hurting the most from the pandemic. It's unrealistic. It's highly partisan. And she's hurting the country, and she has been since July with these demands. And uh, she says it's absolutely essential. My view is, look, let's do the common sense things that we have bipartisan support for. If we need to come back early in 2021 to provide additional targeted assistance, we can do that. We can pass more than one bill on COVID-19. And we have. We've passed four. So let me ask you, I mean, you're one voice in the wilderness at times. Uh, what you can get done in Washington is limited, but what you can get done in the state of Arkansas, uh, you have a, you have some, some swag and some swing with that. What have we gotten done here in the state to help uh, our Kansans? Well, first of all, in the CARES Act, we got almost $8 billion into the state that directly helped our families with COVID-19 testing, payment for family and medical leave, the tax rebate checks of $1,200 per adult, $500 per child, the Paycheck Protection Program for our 40,000 businesses that applied for it, uh, the extra $600 a week temporarily for pandemic unemployment. Uh, So there was immense work here. Plus, our governor, Asa Hutchison, has worked hard with the legislature to take the $1.25 billion that we gave him through the CARES Act, plus some additional money for uh, education, and he has tried to get that out into every county in the state to help them cope with the coronavirus, particularly get our schools open safely, get our kids and teachers back safely to school, help our businesses get open. He's done some grant making to businesses directly himself for things like plexiglass and PPE and things of that nature. So we've worked as a team to help our state cope. And as a result, Dave, we are much better off than many states in the country vis-a-vis uh, our public health response, our ability to keep the economy partially open. But we're still fighting the infection. And so people have to cope with this infection by following the CDC standards of wearing a mask when you can't be socially distant, keeping clean. Uh, and uh, we, particularly for our kids, don't take this disease for granted. All right. When we come back, we got to get a break in. Uh I want to talk to the congressman about the commitment to America. I also want to talk about a huge lie uh, that is being perpetrated upon people uh, dealing with the president and uh, with the congressman as well, with Republicans in uh, in general. We'll talk about it 
as we continue here on the Dave Ellswick Shows. While you listen to the show, you want to hear about stuff like this, well, I'll give you the truth when we come back. It's the Dave Ellswick Show here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Don't forget about PI Roofing. PI Roofing is your roof leak detectives. They find the leaks and they repair them. They're a whole lot like the uh, bumper-to-bumper folks. Uh, They don't just work on houses and roofs. They fix houses and roofs that's what they do they don't stop until the leak is gone and they will come out and take care of everything you need to have taken care of with your your roof if you got a leak if you don't you just want to make sure that your roof is still uh, working correctly uh, protecting you from the elements they can do that for you as well you don't even have to be home when they walk your roof so that that social distancing thing can all be taken care of, uh, you know, the way it's supposed to uh, get a hold of PI roofing just the way I do. I use Jill Johnson and uh, Veronica Johnson's business all the time. Probably over the last uh, 16 years, I've had them out to my house, I guess about five or six times. I've had my roof replaced by them. They do a fantastic job. Here's the number to call. It's the same number I call. I don't have like a secret bat phone number that I call Jill Johnson on. It's 707-3551. 707-3551. You call that number, you'll talk to the exact same people I talk to and get the exact same service I get uh, here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Or you can just do it online. Go to piroofing.com. All right. Uh, Congressman French Hill is our guest from District 2 coming up. Congressman Bruce Westerman at 735, but let's get back to Congressman Hill. Congressman Hill, there's been a lie perpetuated against the Trump administration and against you as well by less than, uh, you know, truthful media and others saying that with all the money that we're spending, what's going to happen is that President Trump's going to cut and you will vote for President Trump to cut Medicare and to cut Social Security and it's a flat-out lie. Can you speak to that? Yeah, I can, because this is so frustrating. I've never seen anything in my five-and-a-half, almost now six years of service in the House. The blatant lies told by our political opponents echoed by the national media. I mean, it, to me, it's, it's shocking. And the first one is that because we support Uh, lower regulations and job cuts for families so Arkansans can keep up to $2,000 more of their pay and businesses can keep more of what they earn to invest, that we're going to cut Social Security and Medicare. This is just a falsehood. It's not true. We voted to strengthen Social Security and Medicare. So that's a flat-out lie that is twisted by the Democratic Party against President Trump and people running for Congress and the Senate. Point two, Dave, similar subject, uh, same song, second verse, that somehow Republicans are against pre-existing condition insurance coverage. This is completely false. The, the, the bill that the U.S. House passed in 2017 to reform Obamacare replaced parts of Obamacare, fully covered pre-existing conditions and paid for it, and the actuaries who studied it said it would lower premiums, provide access to people with pre-existing conditions, but more importantly, it would lower premiums for all Americans participating in a health insurance plan. So these are just flat-out 
falsehoods and lies promulgated by the opposition party. And it shocks me, honestly. I've just never seen that this blatant, this aggressive on national TV advertising and, as I say, backed up with no investigative journalism on the part of of our media. Yeah, it, 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 it's really it is shocking. You're exactly right. Normally, when people start telling falsehoods, the media steps up and says, fact check, no fact check on this. They just let them keep repeating it. And uh, I think, in a sense, it's gotten some, uh, uh, you know, some real uh, uh, rubber on the road kind of uh, tread out there with with people. I think senior citizens are are concerned that they're going to lose something with Social Security and Medicare when, in fact, they are not. Just yesterday, it was announced a 1.3 percent increase in Social Security for next year. Yeah, and that's after 10 years during the Obama administration. I asked my seniors to think back to what it was like during the Obama administration where you got no increases in Social Security Mm -hmm. uh, payments. So anyway, the bottom line is President Trump's committed to a strong Social Security Medicare system. Republicans in Congress are. And look, all members of Congress are. That's what you ought to that's what seniors ought to take away is people are not fighting over cutting your social security. This is just a made up issue to scare seniors, just like they did to poor Paul Ryan running for reelection up in Wisconsin when they said he was gonna put push uh, retirees off cliffs and, you know, uh, uh, wheelchairs. I mean this is a kind of just terrible rhetoric that you get out of the Democratic Party, I'm sad to say. All right. Your House Republicans' commitment to America agenda. Uh, talk about the SAVE Act real quickly for us. Well, as I mentioned in my debate against my opponent, I uh, was asked a very good question about what do we need to do to prepare America for a future public health pandemic? We were not as prepared as we should have been. And one of those important issues is the SAVE Act, which I've introduced, which will help improve our medical supply chain. So that our PPE, our active pharmaceutical ingredients, our vaccines all have a supply chain capability in the United States for emergency purposes under the Defense Production Act. And then my colleagues in the Ways and Means Committee, Dave, are offering in our commitment to America the idea of a new uh, tax credit to recruit manufacturing supply chain, particularly in medical supplies, but others back to the United States to incent people to bring more supply chain, more jobs back to the U.S. in this important sector of our economy. All right, so let's talk further about uh, something that kind of comes off of this, about making America and keeping America great again, and that is uh, you had a Facebook Live discussion about combating the rise of the Chinese Communist Party on college campuses Uh, here in america look this is not mccarthyism folks uh this is straight on truth that is being uh told to you on your college campuses uh the chinese communist party has active cells working to change your daughter and uh and son's minds about them correct yeah thanks for raising it and you've of course been a very smart thinker and watchdog on this around the country and even in our own state. And I remind listeners, we had a professor at the University of Arkansas arrested for theft, for intellectual property theft and spying essentially on the United States, including on NASA, by not telling his bosses at the U of A that he was working secretly for China. 
And this has happened all over the country. And so uh, uh, Secretary of State Pompeo has warned universities about these Confucius Institutes on campuses that they could be cells for propaganda, distribution, and potentially contact points for spying. And so it was great to have three students get on the phone with me. Caleb Max, who'd been an intern for me, who just got out of George Mason University. Zach Fulton, uh, who's up at the University of Arkansas Fayetteville, and Will Teeter at UCA. These three young men have all been active on their campus and have all expressed concern about uh, not only our First Amendment rights on campus and civil debate on campus, but also their concern over Communist Party propaganda on campus. And we had a Facebook Live. People can go out and take a look at it. It's out on my Facebook page. It's very interesting to hear their perspective uh uh, from campuses and to hear the fear perspective of Chinese students trying to study on their campus. All right, we don't have a lot of time left. Let me just uh, touch base on grants for Central Arkansas that your office has supported over $69,250,000 in successful grant applications in Central Arkansas. We've got about 30 seconds. Go ahead. Yeah, Dave, we work with our nonprofits all over central Arkansas to help them accomplish goals and our county judges. We helped get a $1.5 million in levy repairs up in Conway County working with the EDA. We've helped immerse Arkansas, help our teenagers who are out of foster care uh, get the kind of help they need after they turn 18. And one of the things I've worked on for all six years is workforce. And I was pleased to see the Arkansas Regional Innovation Hub and Shorter College get entrepreneurship and workforce training grants. So that's what we do. And people can contact me at hill.house.gov if they have a, a grant they'd like us to help them on. Well, Congressman, get back to Arkansas safely and, uh, you know, escape from the uh, craziness that goes on in Washington, D.C. We'll talk to you again next week. Talk to you soon, Dave. All Thanks right. So bye-bye much. now. All right. Congressman. Uh, French Hill here on the Dave Ellswick Show. He appears every Wednesday uh, by his wanting to tell you what's going on in Washington, D.C. Congressman Bruce Westerman, he's up next. But first, we got to talk to El Rushbo, and here he is. All right, we'll get right to uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman after I tell you about my friend Eric Coleman at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. I've been talking about him for several weeks now. In fact, I've been talking about him for several years when you want something uh for that special someone in your life and you want it to be a unique piece of jewelry there's only one place to go as far as i'm concerned it's a place that i go it's a place where many of the people that i uh, hang out go and that is hillcrest designer jewelry i'll tell you what joe at joe's garage he's got a great ring that was made at hillcrest designer jewelry alan kerr other another person who got some jewelry made for his wife at hillcrest designer jewelry and here's what eric could do you, you give him a call you, you make an appointment or you can just stroll into his location at 3000 cavanaugh and start talking to him and uh, he's going to ask you a lot of questions he'll figure out what it is that your your wife likes uh, he'll figure out some of her personality quirks that you tell him about and he'll put that all together into a piece of jewelry that you will help uh, design with him from a all the way through z and he'll save you money 
Uh, if you're going to put diamonds on it or or, or color uh, gemstones, uh, the best place to go to you know get those gemstones at a reasonable price is Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. I'll tell you what you'll get. You'll get real diamonds. You won't get fake Chinese diamonds that you'll buy off the Internet, think you're getting a good deal, and in reality, you're getting ripped off. That's Hillcrest Designer Jewelry at 3000 Cavanaugh right here in Little Rock. You can call them at uh, 501-246-3655. 501-246-3655. Eric Coleman, talk to him at Hillcrest Designer Jewelry. All right, back to uh, our interview today on our congressional hour here. We've got uh, Congressman Bruce Westerman with us from District 4. Good to have you, Congressman. Thanks for the time today here on the Dave Ellswick Show. Dave, it's always good to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, let's uh, let's get right right to it. Uh, I'll just ask you a, a general question, and that is Amy Coney Barrett is being uh, uh, you know, put through the ringer in the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee, and uh, she's doing very, very well as far as I'm concerned. Did you happen to see her yesterday when the when the uh, senator asked her, you know, most people come before us uh, for the Supreme Court, and they've got three ring binders full of things that they uh, open up and read from. Uh, what do you have? And she showed a blank pad of paper. I mean, everything. Yeah, I've, I've, go ahead. I've caught bits. I've caught bits and pieces of it, uh, you know, while I'm out doing my work. But it's, I, I, I'm very impressed. Uh, she looks, um, she looks to be everything and more that she was built to be. Uh, a good friend of mine in Congress, Representative Mike Johnson, who represents Northwest Louisiana. He lives in Shreveport. Uh, he actually. Uh, knows Amy Coney Barrett from high school. Um, he's uh, he's and he's a constitutional lawyer, and he had been telling me for a long time. He said she's fantastic. Said we couldn't have a better Supreme Court pick uh, than than Amy. And I know that he uh, he has lobbied the the president for that in the past. Um, and he was very excited to see her uh, get the nod from President Trump and. Uh, you know, everything I read about her and everything she says uh, seems to line up with what I think a Supreme Court justice should be. You know, what's exciting about her is that she didn't graduate from the East Coast. I mean, she graduated from Notre Dame University. Uh, I'm not going to say that Notre Dame is a bastion of conservatism, but it is in the Midwest, at least. It's not just uh, getting the same old echo chamber that we get from the East Coast. So that's a positive as well. Oh, I agree. I think that, uh, um, you know, the the middle part of the country gets underrepresented a lot. And, uh, you know, she grew up in New Orleans and uh, educated there in the Midwest and a law professor at Notre Dame. I think think she brings a lot to the court. And uh, just it's so refreshing to have a judge that – it's unashamedly talking about uh, textualism and the original writing of the Constitution and to know that she uh, clerked for Scalia. That's all good stuff. Well, what's really important is, you know, that's the way you think as well. I mean, I've known you since you served here uh, in our state legislature, and you're a man who believes in the Constitution as it was written. 
in the language it was written in. That's right. That's, uh, uh, you know, all this stuff with uh, uh, a, lot, a lot of the things we've seen the court rule on recently, they uh, they changed the, the definition of the language. You know, when um, they passed the laws about um, um, civil rights stuff and they talked about uh, equal rights and they were talking about uh, uh, sexes. They were talking about men and women, and that and that was the language as it was well understood of the day that a man's a man and a woman's a woman. And now the court comes in and, and tries to blur those lines, and that's that's when we get bad laws. Yeah, I I, I agree with that. I asked uh, Congressman Hill about this. I want to ask you about it because I'm tired of it, and that is the media and the opposing party who keep saying that somehow Republicans are going to cut uh, Social Security and cut Medicare, and it couldn't be further from uh, uh, the truth. Dave, they've told that lie. They, they just continually tell it. Every election they come in and say Republicans are going to cut Medicare and Social Security. And it's almost laughable that they keep making that up and, and saying it, uh, but they they continue to get by with it. And they and they their you know their new lies are that Republicans did a tax cut uh, for the wealthy, and uh, you know Biden's wanting to repeal the tax cut. And I guess they just think people are are ignorant and don't realize that they got to keep more of their paycheck uh, when we pass the Tax Cut and Jobs Act. And I guess they think that that people are ignorant and don't realize that when you cut uh, not only the individual tax rates, which were skewed more heavily towards lower income people, but when you cut corporate income tax rates, that more companies want to open manufacturing facilities and businesses in the United States, which drives up um, labor prices, labor rates, which also means more money in people's pockets and more jobs. And that's exactly what we were seeing before the pandemic when we had record low uh, unemployment rates. And it's just appalling to me that the either the press are the ones that are ignorant and can't figure out what was actually in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, or they're being negligent in their duty in calling out these Democrats when they put this idea out there that we did a tax cut for the wealthy and and lower income people didn't benefit from that. It's well, just blatantly false. And the same thing on uh, taking away pre-existing conditions. They told that lie in 2018 and they're doubling down on it in, in 2020. Yeah, you watch the uh, confirmation hearings and all it's about you hear ACA more than you hear ACB, to be honest with you. And, uh, you know, they get the pictures of people in wheelchairs and the whole nine yards. I mean, it really is, as far as I'm concerned, very concerning that this false narrative continues to be pressed forward. And the press doesn't do their job of fact checking uh, what it is that uh, they've been saying. Well, they're they're lazy, as lazy or or um, um, crooked. Is the only thing I can figure out because they're not reporting the truth on this stuff. Uh, you know, I've got a, a health care bill that I, I first filed it in in 2019, the uh, the Fair Care Act, and the press still says there's no Republican legislation for health care. But just a couple of weeks ago, Senator Braun from Indiana 
and I refiled the the Fair Care Act of 2020. So there's now a House bill and a Senate bill um, for it's a Republican health care plan. It's really a bipartisan health care plan because we've got over 75 bipartisan uh, policy issues in there. And we've got I've got multiple sponsors in the House. But, I mean, you've got a bicameral uh, comprehensive health care bill uh, that lowers costs, covers more people. And we doubled down on the fact that it uh, covers uh, pre-insurance or pre-existing conditions. Uh, we literally took the language from the Affordable Care Act that covered um, pre-existing conditions and put it in the Fair Care Act. And on top of that, we have a guaranteed coverage pool uh, that adds even more protections for uh, pre-insurance conditions than the Affordable Care Act had. Yet they they write that even on my bill saying I'm promoting repealing the Affordable Care Act, and the way the bill's written, it's it's not based on repealing the Affordable Care Act. It's based on going in and fixing the existing language that's there. If the Supreme Court does strike down the Affordable Care Act, we could lift existing language and put it into the Fair Care Act and have a, a total replacement bill. But they want to go with the narrative that Republicans are going to repeal the ACA and they're going to do away with um, guaranteed coverage. All right. And it's just not uh, it's not so. Yeah, it's the way it always goes. You know, the people who are in power get to to uh, say which bills get to be heard and uh, throw their weight behind well, what they want well, this, to throw their is, life behind. This is the media. It's not it's not the uh, it's, it's hard enough getting a, a bill on the floor with Pelosi as speaker. But this is the media uh, perpetuating the lies that they tell. All right. We appreciate you being with us. Stay with us. we got to get a break in. We'll do that. Our guest is Congressman uh, Bruce Westerman, District 4. We'll finish up our discussion when we come back. We still have a lot to talk about here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, about eight minutes left here of this half hour with Congressman Bruce Westerman, District 4. Good to have him here with us. As I mentioned in the beginning of this half hour, I've known the congressman for quite some time knew when he served in the house of uh, of arkansas and he was uh, he was a great leader then is uh, continuing to be a great leader now i do know one thing that that uh, congressman there's things that you're working on that don't get reported on you want to bring our listeners up to date on those things yeah, well, I've got a, a health care bill that I've been working on for, for three years, and we were talking about that before the break, the, the Fair Care Act. Um, you can go to my uh, westerman.house.gov and find out more information about that. But it's really a market-based health care plan that lowers cost, covers more people, and definitely covers uh, pre-insurance or pre-existing conditions. Um, and you know we could spend I could spend an hour talking about it and still not get through all of the the details on it, but it's got some really innovative uh, ideas and i'm I'm very excited about that and we've got a bill in the house and the the Senate and I continue to work on the the trillion trees act. I don't know if you caught this yesterday, but President Trump actually did an executive order 
on the Trillion Trees initiative, and he established the Trillion Trees Interagency Policy Group that's headed by the Department of uh, Agriculture, Secretary Sonny Perdue, and Department of Interior Secretary David Barnhart with uh, uh, Ivanka and Jared Trump are both on the the panel, as well as several others from different agencies. So the president's kind of doubling down on the, the Trillion Trees Initiative, and uh, I hope uh, I hope he continues to push on that. I hope he gets reelected so we can uh, get the uh, the congressional act through Congress and get it signed into law. Yeah, talk about that a, a little bit, Congressman, because you are a forester. I mean, you know trees. That's where your your real uh, strength lies. And you've been talking about. I know, even when you were in a, a state representative, you would talk about how forest management has suffered uh in in this country yeah and my you know my wife calls me a tree nerd dave so i I really (laughs) like trees and uh i think if everybody would study trees they would they would like them too because without them we couldn't exist they they do photosynthesis they breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen it's something that's that's very important uh to all of us but we've got uh, like 192 million acres of U.S. Forest Service in the country, plus throw in the BLM and the um, the national parks, U.S. Fish and Wildlife. There's a lot of public land out there and a lot of forestry that falls under the, the guise of the federal government. And then on top of that, we've got all the private forest land that a lot of times borders federal lands. And the the insects and the bugs, they don't know the difference between a a federally owned tree and a privately owned tree. And the wildfire, it can't tell any difference other than the fact that when it gets on privately owned land, it's usually much better managed and it's easier to put the fires out. So uh, I say we've loved our trees to death um, and we failed to do the kinds of management practices that we need to do. And we were misguided in putting out every fire that would start on federal lands, and that just allowed the fuel load to continue to build up. So we've got uh, great things we could accomplish by going in and applying the science that we know on how to manage forests, uh, you know, reduce the effects of these devastating wildfires on the on the West Coast, keep the carbon in the trees instead of in the atmosphere. Um, you know, anybody that has an argument about the environment, I can show you a solution where healthy forests help. If you if you believe that the climate is changing because of man-made carbon emissions and you want to get that carbon out of the atmosphere, then go plant some trees because trees are the the best tool we have for pulling carbon out of the atmosphere. And we've been uh, doing we've, less- been, we've been doing that for a long time here in this country, have we not? Yeah, we plant a lot of trees. We actually do a, a good job of forest management in the U.S. on private land. Okay. Uh, we've created a legal system on federal lands. We could do a much better job on federal lands, but uh, our legal system has tied the hands of the uh, the professionals who work in the Forest Service and the BLM who are tasked with going out and, and managing these forests. We've done that through well-meaning laws like the Clean Air and the Clean Water Act, the Endangered Species Act. And because public lands are owned by us, any American has a a right to those lands. So when, say, the Forest Service puts out a management plan, somebody can say, you know, I don't really like that, and I think it infringes on my right 
enjoy these lands. So I'm going to file a suit in federal court. And that happens day after day after day. And the, the federal judges look at it and say, you know, I believe this does violate this person's rights. So we're going to put an injunction here and not allow the management to take place. And you go back to the, the civil rights movement. There was another law put in place called the Equal Access to Justice Act. It was well-meaning. It was to allow people who couldn't afford to sue the the government if their rights were being violated uh, to have a means to do that. Well, some of these lawyers have figured out how to set up their own little nonprofit group. And under Equal Access to Justice Act, they can sue the Forest Service. And guess who pays for them to sue the Forest Service? The, the Forest Service pays them. So the federal government is paying some environmental group to sue them to stop the management practice. Um, so a lot of these laws get weaponized, and it's not doing um, uh, good for our forest or good for our environment or, you know, as a whole, good for Americans. So that's that's a lot of what I'm working for is to get common sense approaches back in place so we can actually manage these lands and, and have much better outcomes. Okay, we got one minute left. How's that going? Do you is, is, are you getting past some of the roadblocks that have been thrown up before you? Yeah, it's a it's a slow slog, I guess you would say, as doing anything in Congress. We've actually got some laws uh, changed. We got some big wins in the 2018 Farm Bill. Uh, since Democrats have been in control of the House, um, we've not got. Uh, much, if anything, accomplished because uh, they like to see these um, these environmental laws weaponized to stop management. They want to complain about the fires, but they don't want to do anything to help uh, reduce the fires. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, we're we're making progress, but it's slow progress. And I've got to keep my my vision on the the goal way out in front, and just keep working towards that, and hope that things line up so we can uh, get you, there someday. You keep on doing that, Congressman. We appreciate your hard work, Congressman Bruce Westerman. Here on the Dave Ellswick Show, I'll be back tomorrow at six a.m. It's a six o'clock hour for the Dave Ellswick Show, and Joe and Duck are here ready to answer car questions. Again, remember, if you have a car question, to uh, send it to me at Dave at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com, and then I'll ask it of the guys, and they'll answer it for you during one of their six o'clock hours on a, on a Wednesday uh, show. Um, good to have Joe back. Yeah, thank you, Dave. You traveled safely, and that's good. Of course, uh, uh, Duck is here, and he's ready to go watching him. He's like a bull in a china shop today. That's right. You're ready to do it. Just waiting on Friday morning to get here. What's Friday morning? I'm going hunting. Oh, you're going hunting? Yeah, I'm going Friday morning, get up and hunt Saturday morning. So you're going out with the uh, uh, the old musket, huh? Mm-hmm. 
That's the best way to put it. That's they ain't really it muskets like. no more. No, mine, I know. Mine shoots good as my rifle does. Does it? Yeah. Okay, so you've seen some really good deer yeah. on your land. I've looked at one this morning when I got up at 530. Okay, how many points? It's best I can tell, probably a 10, about 18, 19 inches wide. There you go. That's a nice deer. Mm-hmm. That'd look good on my wall. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to go up to Duck's uh, area in modern gun season. In fact, next week, uh, Jack Solalonto, who is a gunsmith, is going to take my 308 and my Remington 870 and clean them up and make sure that they're working the way they're supposed to and get them all lubricated up and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Next week, I'm going out to uh, Ed's uh, shooting range out there in Whitehall. And uh, going to put a couple boxes of uh, shells through that new AR-15 12-gauge that I got. So that'll be fun. Mm-hmm. My my wife's not looking forward to it for the simple reason that she's scared of it. <laughs> and I keep telling her, nothing to be scared on. I, I guess I'll, I'll have to order a limb saver for it as I have for my 870. I mean, you shoot my 870 now, that thing used to kick like a mule now no problem whatsoever i mean it'll move you a little bit but it doesn't mm-hmm. hurt russell we bought a uh actually we i won a gun at turkey federation last you year you win all kinds of guns and the guy that was sitting at my table he won one and it was a uh, 470 it's got a bullet bees your thumb and about four inches long now that he kick. said he said man i really want that i'd want a bolt action uh, 270 I already okay. got two or three of them, so we did a little horse trading up even, and so they decided they was going to take it tardy when we went up and done planting weekend. Yeah, yeah, you need to back up against tree and put show. I'm just tree. saying that you know that sounds like it's pretty close to like a fifty cal. It it hurts your ears when it goes off. <laughs> and <laughs> well, I'm you standing, know you're supposed to have earmuffs on. I'm standing behind him, got my fingers in my ears. Okay, and it still hurt my ears. Built a concussion. I went and got in the truck. <laughs> so my, you know, he said, "Here, Daddy, you shoot us." Mm, no, I, ain't. I got bad shoulders. There ain't no way I'm putting, you know. Yeah, it'd be like that little four ten pistol I bought. I wrapped my arms around a tree and pulled it back up against the tree and shot it the first time. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of sketchy looking, but it does shoot. <laughs> I tell you how short the barrel is, Dave. When yeah. it shoots, the end of the bullet goes outside of the barrel. Really? Yeah. Like I say, it's kind of sketchy looking, but... That'd be kind of cool slow motion photography so you could watch that. Well, I bought it at gun show. I didn't really want it, and the guy... I had to take it to get get the price that I wanted. Uh-huh. So I bought four from him, Them the little 32 pistols <laughs> that break out the side. Yes. He had three of them, and that's that's what I really wanted because I got a collection of them. But he wouldn't sell me then unless he... I bought the the four ten pistol too. And so oh, okay. I get fifty dollars for the four ten pistol. But well, that's not bad. Blake kept wanting to shoot it, and I said, "Blake, it's kind of scratchy looking. I don't, don't <laughs> know if you know if we need to shoot this thing." So we took it to Hardy, and I got me some short short brass bullets and a birdshot, and put it in there. And I wrapped my arms around the tree, and I pulled it back up against the tree. So. The tree was between me and it. Right. About a 16-inch tree. So if it shot backwards, it didn't get you. Yeah, it got the tree, not me. Right. But then after that, they uh, Blake shot it, Tim shot it. They all shot it two or three times a piece, but 
first time i put it around a tree and pulled it back up to the tree have a little recoil i don't know tree caught it (laughs) (laughs) i I can't honestly tease i had it up against a tree when i pulled the trigger that's the only time i've ever shot it and rest time it's been in the gun safe i have been in the little rock market for 20 years and i never get tired of talking about hunting and about guns and it's it's fun to be able to have Duck and Joe on and other people who when you when you have them on you you talk about guns and it's like just talking about what kind of car you got. Sure, it is. Yeah, we remember a time when you could ride around with your shotgun in the back window in the rack, yeah, in the back of it, and you didn't have to lock your doors. You could leave your windows down, and you and could park on you the school park on the school parking <laughs> That's lot. That's right. We used to drive ours to school, and soon we got out of school, we went yeah hunting. Or go out to the to the parking lot and say, "Guys, I got a new shotgun. Check it out." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you can sit there and talk about it and look at it. Mm-hmm. What happened between that time and our time? Which was kids? Went crazy. It has. It's gone nuts. I don't have any idea. I can't answer that. Yeah, I'm with you. I can't yeah. answer it uh, as well, except for video games that make a glorified killing. Yeah. Yes, but there. I did buy me a new uh, seventeen. I ordered. I ain't got a chip. Matter of fact, I'm going through Jonesboro and pick it up Friday. It's a, a 17 automatic. It's made by Ruger. Mm-hmm. It's got a round drum for hose 14 bullets. Okay. I did buy that. S- semi-automatic. No. Yeah, semi-automatic. Yeah, you got to pull. Yeah, you got to got to. I be want something clear I can hold with the trigger. That. Joe Biden's listening. I don't care if he's listening <laughs> or not. Kamala Harris, if you listen, you come to my house. Be prepared. <laughs> You ain't taking nothing till all the bullets are gone. Oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah, you'll be a receiver. How's that go? You got it. All right. Wes got a 2013 Ford F-150 STX 8-cylinder 5-liter motor. I got to that now to get us out of any trouble. Uh, I parked the truck, he says, turned it off, tried to restart it. It just rolled over and over and wouldn't start. Hour later, it started just fine. Drove it to work following day on the interstate. Got off the interstate, stopped at a stop sign, hit the gas, nothing. It was dead. Shut off. Had to have it towed to the mechanic. They say it has started just fine every time they've started it, and the computer is not showing anything wrong. Any ideas of what could be causing the problem? Well, I got one. Okay. Yeah, it's the fuel pump module. Yep. The plug-in's green on it, most likely. Yep. And I, I, I got a couple of questions I'd like to, you know, ask him. Mm-hmm. Is the anti-theft light flashing on the dash when you turn the key on? Mm-hmm. If that's not the problem, and what happened when they sh- loaded on the wrecker, they shook it. Yeah. Made contact again. And it may start a hundred times, Dave. Then it'll quit again. Then okay, now you're talking about the green stuff. You're talking about the corrosion, right? The green monster. Yeah. That, that truck right there has got what they call a uh, fuel pump module that controls because it's a variable speed pump. It's mounted on the left frame rail down there, isn't it? Yep. Uh, underneath the truck. And a lot of times it'll get a little bit of moisture in it, and it'll turn the plug in green. And we've had some where we just take them out and clean the contacts, put it back together, and it's fixed. Some of them we have to replace the module and put a pigtail on there. Yep. Or... or could be a weak fuel pump too you know so but that's something that sometimes won't set a code because 
of the way that that the system is set up. So you could have a fuel pump issue where the pump works part of the time. Sometimes it don't, but it won't set a code. Yep. Okay. Computer's not smart enough to catch the It's not quick enough. On that 2013, it's not quick enough, Dave. By the time it, the problem's there, the computer can't catch it quick enough. And by him running down the road and pulling it shutting off, I'd almost lay the odds it's got the green monster growing in the plug. So here's the bottom line. This is where experience comes in. <coughs> you guys been working on cars and trucks forever. No, it's just about a 30-minute job to just get under there and check it. You'll do your road test, your scan and all that, and just get in there and unplug it and look at it. And like, and like you say, Joe, you can put a scope on it. You can look at the pump and see how much it's pulling. Mm-hmm. Tell what's going on with it, you know, yeah, if you it is it, getting yeah. weak. Yeah. It, it, it's a real easy test, really, you know, to graph one because when you do that, whatever scanner you use, it'll show you the the OEM scale, what it should look yep. like. It'll be on the screen, and then it'll show you what you actually got. Yeah, my OEM is blue. Yeah. Then what I actually got is red. Mm-hmm. But you know, in but most likely it's going to be in the fuel system. Okay, there you go. Should have taken you taken it to you guys as a mechanic. All right, let's go to Nick. 2006 Volkswagen Jetta. I know this is your favorite brand of automobile. Uh, TDI, four-cylinder, 1.9 liter. I have a 2006 Skoda Octava, is it Octavia? MK2. A Jetta and Octavia 2 shared the same engine. Recently, I saw coolant drops on the ground, and I tried to trace the leak. I found coolant dripping from the lower right side of the radiator. I don't know what's there exactly, nor the issue. It only happens when the coolant is at operating temperature, gauge on 90, and the car has been running for a while. I need help. Does somebody know what exactly is happening there and what needs to be done? Radiator. Just yeah. do a new radiator. Plastic tanks leaking yeah. on it. You know, the tanks will crack on them. The aluminum core plastic tanks, they'll split. And they won't actually leak a lot until the engine gets to operating temp and the pressure builds up, right? And the, cracks, and the crack opens up. Yeah, it puts it open and it leaks a little bit out. Now, eventually, it's going to get low enough on cooling. It's going to overheat the engine. And, you know, if you keep driving like that, it's going to do some damage to some other stuff, which he doesn't need to do that. But, so uh, the year model says radiator is bad anyway. Yeah. It's 06. So yeah. it's 14 years old. Yep. I, got, I got one to talk about. Okay. I got something that come in the shop Friday. Got Thursday. two minutes. I got a 2014 <laughs> Kia with a 2.0 liter engine in it. Kia usually puts a 1.6 in them, but this one just so happens got a 2.0 in it. She was leaving the hurricane coming up from Louisiana, going up to her sister up in Missouri until the hurricane come through. Uh, got down there on the interstate. It got hot. She said it was running fine. It's all at once hand pegged out on it she pulled over i sent her record to get it the state police called me said hey can you check this lady she's trying to get away from the hurricane yeah come on so i checked it and told her you know i've got to pull ahead to look at it she said well can you take me to get me a rental car yeah yeah so i take her and get her a rental car tim pulls the head off of it monday it hadn't been hot but the number two pistons got the side burn out of it yeah and we got to look, and I told Tim, the only thing it could be is the injector stuck wide open. And it, and I, she come in yesterday to get some stuff out of it. She was going home, and I got to talking to her, and she said, well, about a month ago, it had a miss in it. And I said, okay, Tim, it, the injector stuck open on it. It's the only thing it can be. 
So I pulled the injector and took it to Arkansas Fuel and had them check it. And sure enough, it's not stuck wide open, but it's spraying down the side. Mm-hmm. Right towards where the piston got the hole burn in it. Yeah. She said, well, it never got hot until that instantly. I see, yeah, that's when it burnt the hole in the piston. That's yeah. when it got hot. So, Wow. You know, uh, but that's the first time I'd ever seen a gas burner do that. And that tells you it's hot when it burns a hole. Well, it's just like a flamethrower, just like a cutting torch. Shoots well, the flame straight out. You have to remember now, those engines are variable valve timing. So yes. what's going to happen going down the freeway? It's going to have the valve timing jacked up. Yep. And uh, they had a problem, the Kia's did, with with that, causing over-advancing it and causing it to have a lot of engine failures. And they've, I think they recalled a lot of those motors and put them in free, but they did a reprogram on it so it didn't advance it so much. Yeah. And uh, it does have the sticker underneath the hood, you know, where they put the sticker stating it yeah. had been reprogrammed. Yeah. That is there. And the first thing I thought, timing was bad. And I said, yeah. you know, then... I looked and I thought, you know, and it didn't have code in it for no timing problems or nothing. So yesterday I had Tim. I said, Just "Give me the injector. Let me go get it checked." And well, what's the mileage on that rig? Seventy thousand. Yeah. She said I paid it off two weeks ago. Yeah. Well, they're gonna put a new engine in it. The problem is, Dave, at two later you can't find any used ones. No. Here we go. Forty-eight hundred dollars right. for a reman. Long block. Mm. All right, we'll talk more about cars. Hopefully, we'll have better stories, <laughs> a little bit more positive yeah. than that one was. Here on the, the Dave Ellswick Show, we've got to get a break in. Joe and Duck are here. Joe from Joe's Garage, Duck from Duck's Garage. Remember, if you've got a question, send it to me as an email to Dave oh. at, at Salem, S-A-L-E-M-L-R dot com. Let's continue the Dave Ellswick Show. It is a Wednesday. That means the 6 o'clock hour is dedicated to cars and questions that you've sent in and um, our uh, mechanics, Joe and Duck, try to answer them, and owners. They're mechanics and owners. They've moved up the, the ladder, so to speak. Kevin's got a 2002 Honda Civic LX four-cylinder 1.7-liter engine in it. I have two Honda Civics. I took the entire ignition assembly off one and put it on the other. However, it still isn't starting. Is there a way to bypass or reset the ECU or key or transponder without the cost of the dealership? Well, yeah, you can do that. But if he moved one from the other and moved the transponder, it's not going to start that car because no. that's got to be programmed to the vehicle. Uh, it's just not going to work. You can't do that. Otherwise, everybody would be going out buying transponders and keys or taking them out of a wrecked vehicle and go putting them in a car on a lot somewhere and stealing them. That's and not driving gonna off work. with it. Yeah, it ain't going to work. That's why you can't go get a key made unless you've got the title in your hand. Correct. Or registration proving you own it. Uh, because when they cut that key for it, they'll program it by the VIN number of the vehicle. But it, it, you can call a local locksmith, and most of them can do this job. At less cost than what the dealer would. Okay. So if he said, I got a used transponder and key, I need it programmed to this car, I think they can probably do that on some vehicles, okay? The problem comes in is some vehicles won't let you do that but one time. Yeah. (laughs) 
without having a, a you, you can't go in there and change it up depending on what year making model it is you can't go in there and go from like go out and buy a used transponder and key and make it work on another vehicle they block you out they won't let you do that just like some of them when you buy them new transponder you got three tries to get it programmed after third try it ain't never programming so it's 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 it just depends and i don't remember exactly on that one O two. i don't think that's like that but i think O two that can they can probably do it yeah oh yeah being O two, providing he ain't got all the transponders all mixed up yeah. and got them in the wrong car yeah wrong year model you, you you could be a production date off or even in a honda you could have it produced depending on whether it's a jap jap uh a japanese or a canadian built or where it was built that could change all of that yes just just by the assembly because that assembly plant used vendors that weren't the same as the other one over there all right we got about yeah. two and a half minutes here yeah. let's talk about keys just a little bit okay ain't like your daddy's key or no. or my key from my first car it was just a regular key now it's got all okay. kinds of things built into it and these newer ones don't even have keys yeah, just push the button. Yeah, you got the fob in your pocket and walk up. Once you get six feet to it, you know, it, you can start it up. You know, I can be inside my house and start mine every morning. And in the wintertime, it's great because a heated seat comes on and a heated steering wheel comes on. <laughs> right. <laughs> it makes that leather seat a whole lot better. Well, I got I, I start mine now. I got my remote start going again, it's thanks working. to Joe and Good his deal. mechanics over there. And uh, I just opened up the door to the garage and get the door to open it up and then start the remote start and mm-hmm. it gets up to operating temperature and then mm-hmm. turns off yeah you're gonna run for like 12 to 14 minutes yeah if you don't come out and get the key in it by then it's going to shut itself off you know i think about a lot of these keys even, even if you look at them you think well this just looks like a key that key has got a chip in it and when you stick it up there in the hole where you slide it in there is a transponder there that actually pings that key. Some keys don't have batteries in them, but it pings that key because it puts it inside that, that halo. transponder's halo. And it's it's talking to that key. What it does, it wakes that key up and says, what number are you? Hey, give me your code. <laughs> and the key says, I'm a 9467954, whatever. Right. Okay, tra- you can start me now. It transmits that to the PCM. PCM says right key. Instrument cluster says right key. Security module says right key. Said, all right, crank it. All that happens within a split second of sticking it in the hole and turning it. Just that quick. Yeah, figures it all out mm-hmm. that 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 quickly. And it's amazing that that one little old key, I have them coming here all the time, you know, with the anti-theft light on. I tell them, have you got another key? Yeah. Let me see it. I got to go home and get it. Go home and get it. Stick key in it, light it right up. Yep. I had well, a woman hauled one all the way from North Little Rock. I said, take it over to Joe's. You're close to it. No, I'm, I'm, I already got the record coming. It's coming to you. She pulled up there. They dropped it off. She gave me the spare key, stuck it in it, lit right up. And she just shook her head. I said, is this the key you use every day? No, it's on my key ring. Well, she take had that about, one off. She had about 40 keys on her key ring. Yeah. Nah. And, and I stuck her key in it mm-hmm. and thought that light come on. So go get another key made. All right. Just some words of advice from a couple of uh, uh, mechanics that know what they're talking about here on the Dave Ellswick Show. All right, let's continue on. More car questions. This time, yes. Uh, This time, let's take a look at 
Christian got 1990. Oh, we're going back, going back in history here. A 1993 GMC K2500 Sierra. It's got an eight-cylinder, 5.7-liter engine. I fixed the low beams in my truck somehow, but my high beams are still flickering on and off occasionally, and I cannot control when they come on. Would this be a headlight relay or a switch or what? Well, 93? 93. Yeah, 93. The, the uh, circuit breaker for that is in is in the headlight switch, if I remember correctly. Yeah, it's in the uh, multifunction switch, yeah, if I can remember. It, it, it's gonna, he's going to have a short. The reason they're flickering on and off is something shorting out, and it's tripped the breaker. Then the breaker comes right back on when it cools the circuit off. Now, is it easy easier now to find uh, a short than it used to be back in the late 60s, early 70s? No. Now, we have a little bit better test equipment for that, but it's still a, you can get it isolated down. You can, you can, you can use some equipment. And you can say, well, it's between here and there. So I got to reduces the amount of wiring you have to strip okay. out, but it's not never going to pinpoint it exactly. And a lot of times, Dave, I figured out it's better just to overlay it with a new wire. Cut go it at to, both ends. Go, go to the computer, see what all was fed by that wire, because sometimes most special when you're talking about the five reference boats, it'll, it'll split off and go to four or five different things. And you just have to remember to go look and see, but a lot of times we just overlay them. Okay, so solder it at this end, solder it at the other end. Put a piece of heat shrink over it and, you know. And clip out the other wire. You just tie it to the wire harness, leave it there. And cut it at one end and the other, and then it's out of the loop. Yeah. yeah. But so you got a new wire, got a new road mm-hmm. for it to travel on. That's correct. International on their, uh, like the um, 99, 2002, all the way up to about 2005, they had problem with the throttle pedal. It'd lose, it'd lose its five reference votes. So and we started making overlay kits and overlaying them from the computer, go out to the computer, and it had three wires you had to pin in the computer. So we just pin them and take, and you stick three wires in a drill another end in a vise and you stand there and twist it because you got to have 13 twists per inch of wire has to be twisted 13 times and so you just twist it and then then you just tie it to the wire harness and bore your hole through the uh firewall and run it through the firewall and put a rubber garment in it to stop the problem with well, international they knew they had so much trouble they come out with an overlay kit that done the, basically the same thing you bore a hole in the firewall but it come you know it was you know, it's a little better design than what you can make out of it, you know, out of a vice. But I've done hundreds of them and never had no problem out of them. Okay. As long as you know where the the problem is, I mean, it can be a break in the middle of the wire somewhere. Well, in Christian's case right here, he says, I fixed the low beams in my truck somehow. Yeah. yeah. So he didn't he, know he, how he did it, but it did He it just happened. moved something, and, and I guarantee you there, there's somewhere out there there's a wire in a, in, a, in a little loom or something that's rubbed against a piece of bracket or metal or something and shortened out, and and I, I can't tell him any other than, you know, hey, you just start have to hunt it down start looking for it. Yeah. But yeah. that flickering on and off, I think, is it's uh, setting and tripping the relay on and off when it shorts out for the high beam. So what do you end up doing? Going through it with a voltmeter? And putting the, pin, the pins down and seeing if you got yeah, current. See, see if you got current. See if you got it. Uh, if one of the wires is going to a ground, you can check that. Okay. Yeah. That's why sometimes it takes so long. And and you'll be sitting there looking at your meter and you'll be moving stuff around, watching it, seeing seeing when it uh, 
when you touch it right where it's at because you got to remember cars and trucks they always they're constantly moving right doug wiggling going down the road vibration winds blowing stuff around you turning left you're right you got centrifugal pushing this way and that way things bouncing up and down so it may not be shorting out all the time but it's probably rubbing against something somewhere somewhere it's rubbing on something yep. and you know that particular year model dave they didn't tie stuff up like they do nowadays you well, know. that and and a lot of a lot of you have to get back to the plastic again. Yes, the retaining clips were made out of plastic, and that they year broke. model ninety three, done been hot and cold, hot and cold, brittle. And, you know, you touch them, they just fall off in yeah, your hands, and that's it. But he's had a short somewhere, so he's going to have to either take it somewhere and let one of us find it, or he's going to have to get out and just. And when you find it, it'll take about four or five minutes to repair the problem. Yeah. But, but it, it may, may take four or five hours to, to find, find the problem. It, exactly. The hunt could be a lot longer than the fix. Yeah. That's it. that's the way it works. And you're going to pay for the hunt. Oh, absolutely. That's part of the deal. Sorry, yeah. just the way it works. All right, Manny's got a 2012 Honda CRV EX. He's got a four-cylinder, 2.4 liter. And uh, this is what he says. Greetings. <laughs> I like that. At least he's positive. I have a CR... Uh, 2012. When I bought it two months ago, I left with the defective serpentine belt tensioner. A Honda mechanic replaced it with a new one, and after three days, it began with noises like the previous one. It was replaced again by a new one, and the same defect began the next day. All this when turning on the AC. We've talked about tensioners a lot in the last few weeks. Yeah, this one here, when he turns the AC on, that compressor is going to be locked up. It pulls that slack out of it, and it'll break the tensioner because yep. the compressor won't turn. Okay. Most, yeah. most likely, it needs AC compressor yep. on it. It's hard to turn or locked up completely. So you're you're hoping it was a serpentine belt. It's worse. <laughs> and that compressor on that 2012, it ain't near as bad as it used to be because you can buy that, you know, from through bumper to bumper in a kit. Uh-huh. And it's it's a whole lot better than you go to, to – uh, to uh, Honda and buy it. Sure, you know, you are going to have to put a condenser in it, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah. you got to put the condenser in, and that's where the price is going to be at. Well, it takes you probably longer to put the condenser in than it does put the compressor on yeah, it. Yeah, because the front's got to come out. Bumper cover got to come off. Oh, my. Yeah. A lot of uh, lot of labor involved in this one. So um, call your late, your your nearest bumper-to-bumper certified service center and and talk to them and see what uh, what's going on because bumper to bumper certified service centers use parts from bumper to bumper, and bumper to bumper only has the best parts that they put in automobiles because they want to you know fix your truck and not just work on your truck or That's car. Correct. Now bumper to bumper, their parts are top of the line there's no discount uh cheap stuff in there we buy quality parts they give a two-year twenty-four thousand mile warranty uh you know all i can tell you is that that's a national warranty nationwide there there are bumper to bumper auto values from the west coast to the east coast even up in canada and some down in mexico yes so if you get out somewhere on vacation have a problem there's somebody gonna be around that can help you Want to do another uh, headlight question? Yeah, that's fine. All right, Craig's got a 93 GMC K2 2500 Sierra. He says, uh, and this sounds like the, almost the same question, and it may have been the same person for all I know. 
Uh, when I first got this truck, it had a light bar attached to the bumper that I used as bright lights since the low beam worked and the dimmer switch did not work. Then recently, I hit a deer, knocked the light, we've heard this before, yes. knocked the light bar off and tore the wires. So I would only use the low beams as normal and just didn't use bright, uh, use bright high beams. After a week, the high beams flickered on and I was unable to turn them off, let alone I had no idea how they even turn on in the first place. After a few days of just using the high beams and avoiding highways, my headlights began to flicker on and off. This guy's got problems here. Mm -hmm. I've uh, been looking for replacement dimmer switches wiring for my truck, but haven't been able to find specific replacements that would fit for sure. Any recommendations of what I should do and specific parts I should buy to fix this problem well your first problem is it's 1993 and the well, second problem is that he taking somebody who knows what they're doing yeah and his biggest problem is he hit a deer yes. <laughs> so there's something, something paint there's truth in that yeah. there's truth in that so you know i i don't really know I, only thing i could tell him is it's probably over his head right doug that's why I said the second thing yeah. is take it. Somebody to know what they're doing. <laughs> Pay somebody to fix it. Yeah. You'll, you'll be money ahead. Absolutely. Because you can start throwing parts at it. You're probably not going to find it by throwing parts at it. Keep that in mind. It pays to go to people who know what they're doing. Well, we test, not guess. Right. And uh, it, it you, you just don't put parts on. Now, sometimes in certain situations where you have a – intermittent problem you will have a flow chart that'll say do this this and this and then it'll stop and it'll say all right install known good part and retest yeah that known doesn't happen part, very again. doesn't happen very often but it's because of an intermittent situation because you know on intermittents is really hard to to explain to folks sometimes sure i see what it's doing but is it, it don't do that all the time and if i make a change in this question is and go road test it, and it's not doing it. Did I fix it, or just happenstance? It's not doing it. Just happened. It is not doing it at the time, and, and so it makes it really hard. And we've done things before, and say, you know, according to everything we've got, this is probably what your issue is. But you're going to have to be willing to understand that if we do this, I can't guarantee you 100 percent is going to fix it. Yeah. But it's what I would do if it belonged to me. Yep. And then you'll have to drive it, and you'll be. The test test guy for yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. You can be the test pilot on it to see if we got it fixed or not. <laughs> so it's, it's it's difficult to explain that. But the world we live in with electronics, sometimes that's the process we have to go through. And yes. Here you got a guy who says, I don't know how my lights even turned on. Yeah, that's a difficult thing, too. And now I, I'm, I got the switch that I think is supposed to – I'm trying to find the switch that I think is supposed to take care of this – but you don't know if that switch is going to take care of it. Yeah. And there again, Dave, you're throwing yeah. money at it. He's buying stuff, and yeah. you're you're back to gray areas there, big time. Test, yeah. don't guess. That's so correct. I can, Save yourself money. I've got a far truck that belongs to West Plasky Fire Department. It's a Freightliner. It's M2, what they call it, a business class. It's a smaller far truck. About a year ago, it come in. Steering gear was leaking power steering fluid. No problems leaking out of that, put shaft, so pull it, put a sector on it. Well, about a week ago, he called Russell, and he said, hey, this thing all at once won't turn. It turns to the right real easy, but it won't turn back to the left real easy. It's real hard to turn, and it tries to lock up. Okay, probably bearing bad hands. So they brought it back, 
checked the filter and it cut it open and it had little pieces of metal in it. Okay, so I called out where I bought the sector because it has a two-year warranty. They said, no problem, we'll give you another. So I went and got another one put on it, flushed it, put a new filter in it, put it all back together. Still won't turn to the left. So I jacked it up. I thought, well, it's got a kingpin froze up. It's what? Jacked it up. Kingpins look good. And I told my guy, I said, knock them out. Let's look at them in our hand. Check the bearing to make sure when it loads the bearing on the bottom of it, bearing looks new. Called a guy, and the guy said, hey, then was put in about two years ago by um, uh, Gary down the front end shop. So, okay. Put it back all together and get it set back on the ground. Still won't turn to the left. It'll turn, but it's just I really mean, hard. Really hard. And so I told Russ, I said, knock the pitman arm loose. And let's try it. Knock the pitman arm loose. Spin back and forth. You can jack it up, take pressure off, and work fine. Okay, hold on. We'll give you the end of this story when we come back. You're listening to Duck and Joe here on the Dave Ellswick Show, due every Wednesday, 6 o'clock hour, on 101.1 FM, The Answer. Let's finish it up for this week uh, This week uh, on a Wednesday with Joe and Duck. Now, Duck was talking about a fire truck he was working on. Yep. So we'll let him pick up from where he was at, because I know you want to hear the end of the story. There's still a lot of story to go. Here we go. So, like I say, we worked on it for a whole two days. I've checked from front to the back to the middle. Checked the steering U joints, you know, because it's got the steering U joint shaft that comes, mm-hmm. you know, hooks to the steering wheel. Yeah. Well, maybe one of them are binding when you get a load on it. Nope, they're all good. I told my guy, I said, just replace them. There's a 338 U joints, little small U joint. They're easy to replace. He replaced them, made sure it's in time because it has a timing mechanism. You got to time it. So I decided Monday, I told Russell, I said, we're going to send it down to the front end shop down to Gary. So I carry it down there and drop it off, take my guy back. He calls me yesterday. Me and him talk about 30 minutes on the phone about it. So we start down through there, and, you know, he's checked the front end alignment, checked the back end alignment. He checked the axle for bent. He checked the kingpin spindle for bent because i have seen them bend which i done checked it with a straight edge and i couldn't see it out of line he's done everything he calls me he says i don't know what you're gonna do he said but it's just like it was when you brought it i said all right how much i owe you nothing he said just when you figure out what's wrong with it call me yeah tell me tell me the answer to this okay so i call where i bought the sector at over at summit it's a shepherd uh, 238 box it weighs about 110 pounds the steering box talked to Tommy over there and Tommy says let me give you the number to Shepard they have a hotline so I call Shepard I'm talking to this guy and this guy says hey look I explained to him what it's doing it turns to the right real easy but it will not turn to the left it locks up you know it don't lock completely up but it's unsafe to drive okay so we're talking back and forth and the first word out of his mouth is you got a bad box I said, man, this box is doing identically the one that I took off of that was about a year old. He said, I still think you got a bad box. And I said, so what am I going to tell Diamond when I go over and tell him I need another box? He said, I'll handle that. I'll call you back today. I hadn't talked to him yet because he's out, out in uh, California. So it'll be, you know, 12 o'clock before I get to talk to him. Yeah, they're several hours behind you. So. When I do get the rest of the story and I do find out, 
Gary down at the front end shop, he said, whenever you figure out what's on wrong, call me and let me know. He said, because I've never seen one do that. I've never seen one do it. Everybody I talk to has never seen one do this. So I ordered another box. We're going to put another box on it tomorrow. I don't. I even put a new power steering pump, and I thought maybe the pump was defective. Well, had some metal in it or something. Yeah, or I thought maybe it runs, you know, because I did find metal in the filter when I cut the when we took the the original one off. I did find metal in it because I cut the filter open to look at it, you know, to see what's in it, and I did find a little bit of metal in it, not enough, I think. But then I thought, well, maybe it went through the pump and you know ate the pump up. So I put a pump on pump on them things about three hundred dollars. So thought, why not? I'm chasing a problem and I ain't figured it out yet. And there again, Joe, sometimes mm-hmm. you just have to replace something. Yeah, like I said, you back to that install a known good part and retest. In this case, you've had two known good parts on there, or something. And I'm gonna put another box on it. It be in. It be here tomorrow. And, yeah. And so, do you think what will happen is when you? F- finally figure it out because i know you will finally because fig- oh, you're it out. like a bulldog you're like a pit bull you'll grab hold of it and won't let go so do you think it it's going to be something really bizarre i don't check all the bizarre stuff <laughs> <laughs> and like i told russell yesterday i said there's nothing left that we ain't put a hand on i've took and knocked the right tie rod in a loose on the ground it won't turn to the left with the motor running you know sitting on the ground and it's empty of waters it's got a 800 gallon water tank on it but i got it empty so i said knock the right tire rod in loose and let's see what it'll do hard to turn all right put the right tire rod in knock the left one loose still hard to turn and it but you can jack the whole far truck up off the ground set it on jack stands you sit there and turn it with one finger back and forth you put it back on the ground when you load the axle back down. That's when all this. So there's something with the load on it. Sounds like to me. And I mean, that's it's the guy up there. Pretty it, evident. It's it's Shepard. It's I mean the first words out of his mouth. He got a bad box. And I said, look, wait a minute. This is a new box. You got a bad box. Okay. Okay. That so happens sometimes. I'll find out. Very sometimes rarely you, you yeah, get but one sometimes doing the same put, thing. Sometimes you put a part on and it just gives up the ghost for whatever reason. Yeah, and you know, and the magic smoke goes away. <laughs> yeah, this magic smoke has got us all mumfuddled. Yeah, I, mean, I gotcha. Even Gary down there at the front end shop, he's been doing front ends now for oh forty years. I've known him for thirty, and and he called me yesterday. He said we need to talk about this truck. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh no, <laughs> he can't figure it out neither. Usually, if I got a problem with something like that, I can send it to him, and he'll he'll keep messing with it. Till he figures he can it out. say you missed this. Yeah, he'll call me and say, hey y'all, this is what I found. Y'all missed it when y'all checked it. But I say he asked me. He said, if y'all had the kingpins out. Those are new ones. I pulled them out, looked at them. I couldn't see nothing wrong. I bought a set. I'll give it to the fire department. You know. Yeah. All right. <laughs> to be continued yes i don't get to say that very often on the show to be continued so you uh you'll be here next wednesday right yes okay i wanted to make sure before i told everybody we'll hopefully have the end of this story for you next wednesday that's kind of interesting i've got about 20 hours in it right now trying to fix this problem all right 
And when you do, you're going to do the happy dance. Um, I don't drink, but I'm going to go get me a glass of unsweet tea. <laughs> there thank you, you Dave. That's the yep. way it works. All right, Duff, Appreciate thank it. you. Joe, thank you for yes, coming sir. in. We'll do it again next Wednesday. These two guys will be here by themselves. I will be taking care of my wife who's having surgery next Wednesday. So uh, the first uh, two hours the next Wednesday is going to be David Ray. Don't miss tomorrow's show at uh, 7 o'clock. Diamonds and Silk will be on. Be on. You've seen him on Fox. You've heard him on my show before. It'll be a riot having him on and talking to us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. So I'll see you tomorrow, 6 a.m.